Our sermon today is going to come from the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. And so if you have Bibles, you can turn there along with me. I believe the words are also going to be on the screen for us. I want to say a few things before I start. The first is, one thing that we are doing, we're committed to praying for Christ Community Church as members of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. One of the ways that we've done that, it's been sort of specific and practical, is that we ask members of the congregation to make a commitment to pray for Christ Community Church and for this process of joining together as one congregation. And everyone that was willing to make such a, congrega- uh, such a commitment, we wanted to give a reminder. And so we gave out a bookmark to everybody who committed to that. Now, uh, just, you know, this is some inside baseball. You know, if we were to get like 500 bookmarks, which is probably how much we needed, it was going to be something like, I don't know what the actual number was, so don't quote me on this. And something like $200, but if it was like 225 we could get 1,500 bookmarks. So we definitely went with three times the number that we needed. And so we, uh, we have many, many bookmarks. And so what we wanted to do was to give you the opportunity also. So these are the bookmarks. You can't see them very well, but I'm going to have them here. I'm going to give them to everybody that wants to take one of these. You can put it in your Bible as a reminder or, or another book that you use, or you could put it on your refrigerator as a reminder to pray for this partnership. And so please come up to me and let me give you a bookmark after the service. Um, and, you know, if there's anyone from Orland who hasn't yet gotten your bookmark, this is the time to do it also because, you know, we're, we're a good, good group here to be able to do that. I'm going to put that right here in the pulpit, and I know my own brain. I will probably forget about it once I leave the pulpit. And so I'm going to ask that you remind me after the service, if I do forget about it, to grab these so that I can give you a bookmark to remind us to pray for this. I also want to make sure that I say thank you. I have, you know, we've been walking together for a while now as two congregations. I've had the opportunity to get to know the members of Christ Community Church well and the elders and the deacons uh, well here. And I'm just so thankful for all of the consistent faithfulness that continues to be demonstrated. You know, this last couple of years has been hard on every church. There are a lot of churches that have had a difficult time making their way through COVID. It's been especially challenging not having a pastor. And so I'm just so thankful for all of the elders. I know every week I'm friends with many of you on Facebook. I see you sharing pictures of the preacher that's going to be coming preaching. That's just like this consistent, faithful uh, thing. So you shared a picture of me. I was wearing the exact same outfit apparently last time I preached here. And so Josh Seegers, who's here from Roland Park CRC, texted me a picture. He goes, so this looks like your Christ Community Church outfit. Then. And so just, you know, the faithfulness of posting those, I was able to see. And so I'll try to wear something else next time. But, uh, uh, but that consistent faithfulness is appreciated. And um, I was at the last council meeting and there was such great leadership that came from the deacons, the voice of the deacons, so important, so beneficial, it was wonderful. And the work that, um, that I know Mark and Rhonda have been doing to continue to provide faithful and consistent leadership, I see it and I appreciate it and I'm just so grateful and I want to make sure that I simply say thank you. I'm so thankful for you, I'm so thankful for the work that you do, I'm thankful for each of you and... Um, Okay, now let's take a look at God's Word together. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 16. And let's remember 
as we hear this, that this is God's word, and I want to in, invite you to do something. At the end of this, I'm going to just finish reading all of it. I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. I'm going to ask that we all say together, thanks be to God at the end of this. So that'll be at the end. Here we go. This is what God's word says. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended to the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to see the message of Ephesians chapter 4 today and walk in unity together. We pray that we might walk this path together, maintaining, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We pray that you would work in power now. We pray that you would use every word that I say. We pray that you would use, you would use this message to bring good. We pray that you would make us to be receptive that we might hear and understand and listen and give you thanks and praise for who you are. We pray, God, we pray that, that this would be a, an important and a powerful moment now and that everything would say that you'd cause it to bear fruit. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I should have mentioned one more person I'm really thankful for, and that's, that's Debbie, who's very consistent. She's been such a consistent servant throughout all this process. And um, thank you. I'm also thankful because I changed my sermon a few times this week and she rolled with the punches. So some of those faithful people who were posting the sermon, different from the text I just read. But Debbie was, was there fielding it. All right, so if you would like to be discouraged, now I don't know if you would, I don't know why anyone would want a reason to be discouraged, but if you're looking for one, you can take a look at the state of unity in the church. According to the World Christian Encyclopedia, there are more than 30,000 Christian denominations in the world. Now, this is a tragedy, 
but it's sometimes kind of a silly tragedy. And one thing that actually made me laugh when I was looking up the World Christian Encyclopedia is that there are 680 denominations just of oneness Pentecostals. So the denomination focused on God's oneness can't even stay together. I don't say that to mock. I'm a Protestant Christian. There are 9,000 Protestant denominations. And it's so interesting because if you are a student of denominations, like I am, I love just reading that sort of history, you realize that oftentimes even just the names of those denominations are, are made to try to get back at the denomination you're leaving. So there's a Reformed church, and then they're like, all right, but we're the Christian Reformed church. We're real Christian. And then you, you, know, you leave, and you're like, but we're the United Reformed folks. You know, so uh, there's these great words that sort of like stick it to that group that you just left, you know? We're the Orthodox ones. You might be Presbyterians, just not quite as Orthodox as us. Division. That's just Protestant denominations. If you look at churches, the divisions tend to go deeper. There's not a church that made it through the pandemic unscathed. Barna Research says that almost 40% of pastors are considering leaving the ministry. Most of them cite division as the chief reason chaos and division being the leading reason. And none of this is even mentioning broader cultural division or the shameful tragedy that 11 a.m. on a Sunday is the most segregated hour in America. As I look at the landscape, I can't help but see all of the destruction wrought by division. It's everywhere. It's shot through every organization and every institution. This last week, I was in Louisville for a couple of days. There's a conference called Together for the Gospel. And one person noted, you know, there were four guys that started this, and it was noticeable that this Together for the Gospel now just has two of the four. Division has crept in even into that institution and that conference. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. As I look at the landscape and see all the destruction that's wrought by it, I can't help but think that there is some secret path to unity that we're all missing. But here's a reality. All of the Bible's secrets are open secrets. All of the mysteries are revealed mysteries. And so the message for this uh, sermon is the not-so-secret path to unity. It seems like a secret because we all miss it. But it's an open secret. The not-so-secret path to unity. The truth is something is this, that, they, that unity is hard. And so let me share with you some of the open secrets of Ephesians chapter 4 that will bring us to unity. We are people who should desire eagerly to be unified. Let me open for us some of those open secrets that will draw us, that will bring us to unity. Here's the first secret for you. Unity is not glamorous. Unity is not glamorous. In fact, the Christian life is not glamorous. You notice how here in Ephesians chapter 4, throughout 1 and 2 and 3, there have been some glorious truths about God that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has given to the Ephesian Christians and, and by extension to us. He's been laying those out. They've been glorious and beautiful. And then as he gets to Ephesians chapter 4, he starts giving commands. He starts telling us what we're supposed to do. And the first one is this, is walk, is walk. Walking is about the least glamorous thing that there is. 
Now, it can be pretty glamorous if you are a very fit athlete and you win a race and you're like, wow, look at how fast that person is. It can be pretty glamorous if you have a very nice vehicle and you roll up and everybody takes a look at you. But if you stroll up to something, you are not going to be noticed because there is very little that we can do that is less glamorous than walking. We can get into the way of thinking that something is not worth doing unless people will notice us for doing it. And yet, the command, after all of the glories that have been laid out in Ephesians, is walk. Just walk. I had a professor at Wheaton College, a guy named Jerry Root, and some people came up to him and said, we want to do great things for God. And so he told them, well, come with me. I'm going to go to the local community college here in Wheaton, and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Now, it may be that no one listens. It may be that no one listens, but come and just talk about Jesus with me. And they said, well, we want to do great things. And if there's a chance no one will listen, we don't want to do that. And he said, fine. Then I have a widow who lives near me and her, her driveway needs to be shoveled. And so I just want to invite you to come and, and go with me. Let's shovel the driveway together. And they refused. They said, we want to do great things, not just shovel a driveway. Well, let's go have lunch with lonely people on campus, he said. And they said, no, you're misunderstanding. We want to do great things, not just share a meal with someone who might be odd. And he said, well, it doesn't seem like you want to do great things at all. Each one of those was a great thing for God. It seems like you want to do something that will get you noticed. We must walk. We must do this basic walk, the Christian walk. It was the devil who tempted Jesus with great things. Jump off this building. Angels will rescue you. It'll be a spectacle. Think of the buzz. Jesus, bow down and worship me. You'll become the ruler of the kingdoms of the earth. Think about what you could do with all of that extraordinary power, Jesus. Think about all of the sensible government reforms that you could put into place if you were given the kingdoms over the control over the kingdoms of all the kingdoms of the earth. Think about it. And Jesus rejects spectacle and power and control and takes up instead cross. Jesus didn't follow the way of the enemy. He followed his father's path, a path that led him to walk to Calvary. Think about how Jesus died, despised and rejected by almost all of his closest friends. Peter denying Christ Jesus. He died having walked the path of seeming irrelevance. He could have been the ruler of all of the kingdoms of the world, and he rejected all of that simply for walking the way to Calvary, he walked the path to the cross. Tell me again why we seem to want to do things for Christ Jesus that will get us noticed, that will lead to applause and approval from the world. Who, whose way is it that tends to lead to fame? It's not the way of Christ Jesus. Walk. Walk in humility and gentleness and patience and love. If, if you walk, if you are a faithful Christian walker, it is highly likely that there will be no monument built to your legacy when you die. The most patient, gentle, humble person today won't get a large following. But that's what we're called to. Gentleness, humility, love. The words that are used here in Ephesians chapter 4 are, are words that mean a lowliness of mind and heart. That's the way we're supposed to... That's the attitude that we're supposed to have as we walk the Christian walk. This was... A trait that was despised, the Greek word that's used is a trait that was despised by the, 
Greco-Roman upper classes at this particular time because it was a word used to describe slaves or it was the attitude that slaves had. Upper class Christians, therefore, at the time of coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in Ephesus were instructed by Paul to use the attitude of the slaves that would have been owned with their, within their own city. Gentleness, as we use that, it's, it's strength used for protective purposes of other people. Not, not a lack of strength, but strength used in the right sorts of way. And all of this, it, it gives to us this picture that the Christian life is not glamorous. It is a walk. And so if you want to be a unified person, you need to make sure that your desire is for this rather than fame or glory or spectacle. It's walk. If you want to be unified in Christ Jesus, it's simple, but it's challenging. It means that you're in church all the time. It means that you're looking out not only for your own interests, but for the interests of others. It means that you treat others as more deserving of respect than yourself. It means that you seek to meet others' needs before you meet your own. All of this profoundly challenging, not glamorous, deeply Christian. And it's the first step on this not-so-secret path to unity. Here's the second secret. Unity is not something that you create. The eagerness that you and I are called to in Ephesians 4 is not the creation of unity, but the maintaining of unity. We're told in Ephesians 4, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. Unity doesn't come from anywhere other than God. The only person who can create unity is the Holy Spirit of God in our midst. If we are a people who want to be unified, we have to recognize what we need to be eager to do is maintain the unity that God gives to us. We can't create it based on the power of our own muscles of the flesh. We can't be people who invent or create unity. God gives it as a gift to the Christians. We need to be eager to maintain it. We need to be, just, just want to run to try to facilitate and maintain this. You know, the, the devil, there are two words for the enemy, Satan and the devil. Satan means to accuse, means the accuser. Diabolos means to split apart, to break apart. The enemy's goal is to break apart Christian unity. It's, it's part of the goal of the enemy. So it, wherever you see, wherever you see division, it, it's an evidence of the fact that the enemy is seeking to fracture the unity that the Holy Spirit creates, but where God is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, there is unity and there is peace. And so if we want to be people of unity, we need to recognize, all right, we are not the source of unity. God is the source of unity. And so the second step on this not-so-secret path is to recognize that unity is something that comes from God, and so we need to eagerly pray for it. Here's how unity comes to a body of believers. They trust Jesus. They receive the Holy Spirit. They walk in a manner worthy of the calling that they've received. And God, as he inspires Paul here in the writing of the book of Ephesians, goes on to describe how perfect the unity is that we've received in Christ Jesus. He describes how much oneness there is for there there exists for Christians, and there's this sevenfold unity that's then described. There's a, a pastor who I love, Dave Helm, and he says that this is you know one of the first 
runs to close a sermon here as we get to this sevenfold unity that exists here because Paul is, is just giving to us this like multiplying of unity, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Each one builds on the other. Seven is this number of completion or perfection in the Bible, and it all comes together to demonstrate to us the totality of the unity that's ours in Christ Jesus. It's sevenfold, it's perfect, it's complete. That's us who are in Christ Jesus. Here's the point. There might be all sorts of preachers out there that demand a uniformity. Now, this is not unity. To say, you're on my team if you look like me or act like me. That's not, that's not the kind of unity that God gives to us. That's just sameness. That's just uniformity. God does not demand sameness. God calls us to unity in the midst of a glorious diversity that it doesn't matter how different you or I are, it means that we can be one in Christ Jesus. Let me give you kind of, I, I think in an example that it's admittedly a little silly, all right? But hopefully it will illustrate the point. Listen, this is, if you're from Orland Park, CRC, please don't listen into this part. Unfortunately, a number of people at Orland Park, CRC, Bob, I think also you can't listen to this, are White Sox fans. It's very unfortunate. <laughs> you know, not many, not many realize the Cubs is where it's at. For an <laughs> oh, there's some amens to that. Not, not the least reason being that Jeremy Meeks, who's preached here, he's, he's a chaplain for the Chicago Cubs. I mean, with that good of a chaplain, you should be a Chicago Cubs fan. He's there right now leading services with the Chicago Cubs. Pray for him, by the way. He said that uh, nobody's coming right now to his chapel services. So, except from the visiting teams. Oh no, I'm talking myself out of being a Cubs fan right now in the course of this message. <laughs> so this is a silly example. Now Orland Park CRC folks can listen in again. Because of the gospel, Cubs fans and Sox fans, man, we are one in Christ Jesus. Now, that is a silly example, but the reality is, is that there are all sorts of ways that we might disagree as people. There are, there are political and cultural and social and ideological differences that exist within the body of Christ Jesus. All of these things threaten to break us apart. For those of us who are one in Christ Jesus, it does not, it does not say that we all must be exactly the same way. The gospel does not call us all to be Cubs fans or Sox fans in order to follow Christ Jesus to get rid of any of the things that might make us different. The gospel is calling us to something deeper, a fundamental unity amidst diversity. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian. Unity, not uniformity. All right, here's the third secret. Unity comes from good gifts that Jesus gives. Jesus came down to earth and ascended into heaven and gave good gifts. That's what we're told in verse 8. There are apostles, representatives of the church. There are prophets, those who are called to uh, speak the relevance of the gospel and the will of God to the culture, to speak truth 
often to power. There are evangelists, those specifically tasked with taking the gospel to unbelieving individuals and pastor teachers. Now, when all of these leaders are functioning in step with the Holy Spirit, the result of all of that is unity. God gives leaders to churches to foster unity. And and if a pastor is operating in step with the Holy Spirit of God, unity is what the fruit of that is because unity is a gift from God. And so as, as... Pastor Kaylee comes to come and be a pastor within this midst. The the goal for him will be to speak the truth of God so that unity is the result. And when you see a church that is unified, you can generally point to the fact that there is not a divisive pastor that is leading there. There are evangelists, there are pastor teachers that are functioning in that midst, cultivating unity. Here's the fourth not-so-secret step. Unity comes when you grow up. Verse 13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And then verse 14 says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And then verse 15 says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Here's the fourth not-so-secret step. Unity comes when you grow up. You should not be like children. My, my, we just had our third who was born early January. It's a gift from God. Evangeline Hope is her name. And there was a member of Orland Park CRC who came to give us a gift for Evangeline. And as we were opening it, this member of the congregation said, you know, I also wanted to bring gifts for your other two kids so that they don't get jealous of Evangeline and despise her, which I appreciate. So there were two big gifts each of, both Elsie and Robbie received a large Grogu pillow, an absolutely identical Grogu pillow. Believe me when I tell you nothing has created more conflict in my house than these two Grogu pillows because they are both utterly convinced every day that the other person has their Grogu pillow. And I'm like, it's the same pillow. It is the same pillow. There are literally no differences between the pillows. And I couldn't tell you which belongs to who, but they fight And neither one will either give up their Grogu pillow for the other or give up the fact that maybe the one that they are holding on to is in fact their pillow. Now you know what this is? Nonsense. It's nonsense. It's the exact same sort of thing. But this sort of foolish bickering and fighting is what characterizes children. My wife and I have hid one Grogu pillow. That's what we've done now. And now they have no problem sharing it. I have no idea what the reason is for all of this. But because they are children, they're given to all manner of nonsense fighting. We help foster unity if we grow up, if we are mature. All right, here is the fifth not-so-secret step. Unity comes when we speak the truth in love. Let me read verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way from him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you don't have the truth, you don't have real unity. You might have a temporary ceasefire, but you don't have peace. 
You might have it so that you just don't talk to each other and so there's no big explosions, but you don't have, you don't have real, genuine unity. You just have people who aren't talking to each other. You just have quiet, but you don't have peace. If you speak the truth, but you don't speak it in love, you're not going to have peace. Oh my goodness. You know how often we try to excuse saying unkind things just by being like, well, I'm just telling the truth. Yeah, but if you're saying it like a jerk, then it doesn't, really, it doesn't really work like that. Speaking the truth has to be joined to love. And if we don't speak the truth, and if we don't have love, you know what results? Either a, a quiet ceasefire where people aren't you know, communicating with each other, or loud clashes because there's no love present. But when we speak the truth and we speak it in love, the two come together, and you know what results? Unity that comes from God. It's beautiful. And so it means that there has to be a, an open and eager truth-speaking and a deep and a foundational and a fundamental reality of love. And when all of these things come together, there is unity. It's something that happens because the Holy Spirit dwells in us and it's more powerful than anything that seeks to divide us. we're one in the Spirit. We're one in the Lord. We're one in the Spirit. We're one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. But until that time, they'll know we're Christians by our love. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would recognize that unity is a gift from you, Lord. That as Christ died and rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven and has given us the Holy Spirit, we are able to live in the reality of unity. We pray that we, here as Christ Community Church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we pray that we might be eager to maintain the bond of peace. We thank you for this joy of being able to worship you together, celebrate the sacrament of baptism, sing with our hearts, pray to you, hear from your word. As we've been able to do that, we thank you for it. And we pray that it might foster within us unity. Let us be eager to maintain this. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.